Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack. They've been helping us put on the show for years, and they just launched an awesome new product called Profiles. It makes it easy to build an identity graph and complete customer profiles right in your warehouse or data lake. You should go check it out at rudderstack.com today. Welcome back to the Data Stack Show. Costas, we love talking about real-time stuff. And we have a fascinating company on the show today, Dozer. So we're going to talk with Vivek and Matteo. Both have fascinating backgrounds, um, but they allow you to take a data source, really many types of data sources, you know, from sort of like real-time, like Kafka-esque data sources to a table maybe in your Snowflake warehouse and just turn it into an API to get real-time data, um, which is fascinating. And I want to know what in their experience sort of led them to build Dozer. What problems did they face where they had, I mean, obviously they're trying to simplify something, right? Turn a table into an API you know, sounds very much like marketing, you know, which gives me pause. <laughs> but if they can actually do it, that's really cool. And so I want to know why they built it. And then I'm going to let you ask them how they built it. Yeah, 100%. I think it's a, it's a very interesting space because now I think like we are reaching the point where, you know, like we've, accumulated all this data into like the data warehouse or like the data infrastructure that we have in general, like we are able to uh, um, create insights from that data. But like the question is like, what's next, right? Like how do we can create even more value from this data? And that's like where we start seeing like stuff like reverse CTL coming into like the picture or let's say the approach that Dozer is taking into Taking this data from the the more like analytical infrastructure that like somebody has and turn it back into something that an application developer can use to go and build on top, right? Because yeah. I mean, okay, like we always like the first use case that we think about data is like well, analytics and BI and reporting. But to be honest, yeah. like today, like that's just like a small part of what like the industry is doing, right? Or like what the companies need to do. There's much more like that we can do. But there's a gap there, obviously. Reverse ETL is probably addressing partially this gap. But I don't think that it's a solved problem. And I think that's what exactly like companies like those are trying to do. So it's going to be like super interesting to see like these breeds and like what kind of technology and tooling is needed to bridge data engineering with application engineering. And that's what we are going like to talk about today. And I'm very excited about it. So let's go and do it. All right, let's dig in. Vivek, Matteo, welcome to the Data Stack Show. We're so excited to chat about Dozer and uh, all things data. So thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well, let's start where we always do. Vivek, do you want to tell us about your background and kind of what led you to starting Dozer? And feel free to talk about how you know Matteo, of course, as part of that story. 
Yeah, so I've, I've always been in technology roles. I knew Matteo in one of the first companies I worked for in Singapore. So I've been in Singapore for the last 10 to 12 years. It was a secure-backed company. And since then, we have been good friends. We always talked about starting something together. We iterated on several concepts. And uh, this is something we came across in our previous experiences and we have solved it in multiple different ways. And we explain, we'll explain that what that means in a second. Speaking about my personal experience, I was, uh, I mean, maybe the last three companies would be a good place to start. So uh, just before this, I was a CTO of a, a fintech company solving a payment problem in Southeast Asia. Before that, I was involved with a publicly listed company called Yoji as a CTO, basically solving logistics in Southeast Asia and Australia. And before that, I was involved with Patience, which had a 200 million exit, basically a buy and pay later company, right? That's a little mm. about me. Awesome. Mateo? Yeah, so I'm, as Vivek mentioned, we know each other for about 10 years. We worked at the first, one of the first companies together. I'm coming from a mix of, I've been working in software engineering for the last 20 years and in data for about the last 10 years. I've been jumping around between startups and mostly financial institutions. I was part of I was part of Data Robot relatively early when they were scaling mm-hmm. out the product, and I was helping to scale out their product to enterprises. Right after that, I joined DBS Bank, which is the biggest bank in in Southeast Asia, and helped to build the entire data platform and the data team actually from the ground up. And right after that. Before starting Dozer, I was leading the data group for Asia-Pacific, data engineering for Asia-Pacific at Goldman Sachs. And uh, yeah, after that, uh, me and Vivek, we have been always iterating about ideas and we, uh, and we like very much the concept of Dozer and we just, started, we just, just decided to jump fully. Awesome. Well, before we get into Dozer specifics, you know, it's really interesting hearing your stories. There's both sort of a startup background and then also like large enterprise, both in fintech. Is Dozer, does it have roots in sort of like fintech flavored problems or is that just a coincidence of the experience that both of you have? It's, I think it's, I mean, I can think of it. It's kind of a coincidence because Dozer solves a generic data problems, which I happen to face in, in financial institutions and Vivek also happened to face in, in, in fintech startup. But it's not something that is specifically for fintech at all, actually. Okay. Well, give us... Give us the high-level overview, and then let's talk about the problems that you faced that sort of drove you to actually start building Dozer. But give us an overview of what is Dozer and what does it do? So Dozer basically points us at any data source or multiple data sources. With a simple configuration in YAML, we can produce APIs in gRPC and REST, and developers can actually put that together in a few minutes and start working on data products right away. So the main problem statement, the way you say it, that there is significant investment in the data world. 
you know, like there's a lot of tools, basically working on ingestion, transformations, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But there are not many errors going out of the data warehouses and, you know, data lakes, et cetera. So sure. it's typically companies looking to solve a data serving problem end up building a lot of infrastructure from scratch. And that is what we have done in the past as well. So typically that will involve, if you're working with real time, you'll bring in a Kafka, you'll bring in, for example, a Spark infrastructure for, for scheduled, for a batch job, you'll bring in an Elasticsearch or Redis to cache the queries, you'll build APIs on top of that. So typically it involves stitching together various technologies and it will require a significant amount of time and coordination between several teams. So, and cost as well, right? So this is what we kind of personally faced and this is what we wanted to productize. So with a, a small team or, or a single developer can actually kind of go all the way from leveraging data to produce APIs so that data products can be instantly iterated upon, work on the problem that you care most about, right? So that's what Dozer solves. Makes total sense. Can you give us just an example of you know, something and really Mateo or Vivek, I know you both, it sounds like you both, you know, solved, you know, faced this and solved it using like a complex stream of technology. Give us the way that you solved it before. And if you can give us maybe a a specific example, you needed to deliver a data product that did X and what part, like what stack did you use to actually deliver that? Maybe I can start with the with uh, the kind of problem that I have, and I can follow on with this problem, with his problem. So, the biggest challenge that I was facing in when I was at DBS, for example, DBS wanted to build a unified API layer to serve all the banking application across product and across country. So we're talking about core banking, we're talking about insurance, we're talking about wealth, et cetera, et cetera. And the, what we wanted to achieve as well was offloading all the source systems. So you can imagine that you have, a, in this case, tens of different source systems serving uh, uh, different uh, kind of product. And uh, in order to achieve all that, we had to start building a very complex infrastructure, capturing data from all these source systems, preparing it, uh, caching it, uh, and building API on top of it. Now, saying that seems very simple, but in reality, it's a fairly complex work because we're talking about a number of source systems, we're talking about capturing everything in real time, and, mm. and we're talking about um, making sure the system are extremely reliable because this is not just a, a dashboard, but it's data that is integrated, it's served directly to the bank mm. staff. So, and that's where, that's where we realized that how much time was spent to build the entire plumbing, and that's how those are, the idea of those are came about. Yeah, interesting. So would that be like, this is probably a really primitive example, but let's say you have an account balance that needs to be available in multiple apps, you know, that relates to insurance or something. And so you need to actually, you need to serve that 
like across a variety, you know, you need an API that essentially makes that balance available within, you know, all sorts of applications across the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah that's correct. That's correct. And especially if you think uh, when you open your, up your banking account with your yeah. banking, you see your current account balance, you see your wealth account balance, you see your yep. insurance. So sure. these are managed by different systems. And traditionally, you query each and every system to get the data. But that's, that becomes complex and very, the load to the, for the source system is very heavy. So that's what we wanted to achieve, a unified layer that was making much easier for, for app developer to integrate and also at the same time reduce the complexity and the load to the source system. Yep. Yep. I mean, I would guess that, did you have to make a lot of decisions around cost because you have to decide, you know, how much of what to cash depending on how often people check something, right? So like mobile, they may check way more often than web or were there a lot of trade-offs that you had to make just in terms of caching and the cost of like running the queries? Because I mean, people want to know like, you know, when money hits their bank account, I mean, they need to know that you know, that's, basically when it, like, when it happens, right? That's, that's <laughs> to be honest, the trade-off in terms of cost, talking about data caching, we didn't have to make so many trade-offs because the cost of running the, the read load on the source system was so high that uh, even caching the entire data pre, so fundamentally what we did was Repackaging the entire data, pre-aggregating the entire data, and store in the cache, which was basically a persistent cache, an mm. entire user profile with with a, a part of the transaction history. And this was had a much lower cost anyway than hitting the source system itself. Interesting. Wow. Okay, so the caching just wasn't even a big deal because it costs much at the source to like generate That's it. Right. Wow. That's right. Okay. That's right. Um, I mean, here we're talking about uh, legacy systems like mainframes, like like sure. uh, Oracle, where uh, that are not uh, specifically designed for read load, and yep. each read operation is a cost to the company. How many, just out of curiosity, how many separate, so let's just say like data engineering tools would you say did you use to to build the pipeline that served that? I mean, are we talking like three or like 10 or? We are talking about probably around 10, maybe a little bit less than 10. Wow. Because, yeah, I mean, because... Uh, there were a bunch of tools that were like legacy tools to connect to the systems. Uh, plus, we had entire infrastructure of, uh, of using leveraging Kafka. Plus, some obviously there was a lot of custom code as well to sure to, to glue. I the was system. just going to ask. Yeah, there there was a lot of custom code, and you know when we started implementing, we 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 just. We were not just teaching the pieces together, but we properly defined a full, uh, uh, I would say now you would use the term data contracts so that 
all the all the data that was published, the API available were fully documented, documentation was fully generated, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And then we had a caching layer uh, and not just one, but multiple, depending on what kind of lookup uh, you Oh, right. Do. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, it de depending on your query pattern, you would choose one or another. Yeah. Okay. Well, to all of our listeners, next time you're like trying to refresh your banking app, you know, to see your paycheck hit, just know that <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot going on, you know, so the little spinning bar is running a lot behind the scenes. Sure. Vivek, do you want to, I'd love to just hear, you know, what problem you faced and then let's dig into Dozer. Yeah. So before that, I'll bring us to a slightly higher level for a second. So this problem manifests, as we see in multiple different ways, larger organization, organizations will call them an experience layer where you're bringing data from multiple domains and serving certain domain APIs to end users, which could be direct customers or it could be internal clients that are doing different things. It could be a simple problem of you have several microservices and you simply have an API. For example, let's talk about a use case of user personalization where you want to have some amount of calculated data about a user, which is coming through a machine learning model or some other, for example, in the case of FinTech, which we were talking about earlier, it could be your credit scores and your risk profiles, mm. et cetera, et cetera, which are useful. And you would have certain amount of master data, which are coming from certain other systems where you would think about uh, data production rules, et cetera, et cetera, as well. But when it comes to a mobile app where Matthew was describing, you're putting all of that as one user API, for example. Now you have to stitch together data that is coming, coming from multiple systems and having real-time data in these scenarios becomes very important. Similarly, like uh, another use case I would describe is that you have data sitting in, in, for example, I mean, today, a lot of some of this system data will be available in a data warehouse. And data warehouses are typically not suitable for doing low latency queries. Let's say if you have millions of users hitting your application, you cannot make all the calls back to a data warehouse. You have to bring that into a cache to serve all these APIs. And that suddenly becomes an entire pipeline to manage. And you have to think about real time and you know all the caching yeah. policies, et cetera, et cetera. So in my experiences, we have had to deal with some of these problems where we had a warehouse, a data warehousing place, and we had to kind of bring information about users and certain profiles in the form of reports, in the form of embedded personalized experiences for users. Users, in the, in, for example, in the case of FinTech, as I mentioned, it could be risk profiles, et cetera, spend patterns, whatnot. In the case of logistics, it was, a, for example, it could be driver locations. It could be, it could be customer latest, you know, number of invent, inventory items in the inventory, et cetera, et cetera, right? There are many things that are, that are supposed to be kept real time, but this data is often coming from multiple different systems. And we still need to serve these APIs at a low latency for a large throughput. Yeah, that makes total sense. This is probably a dumb question, but you know, a lot of the data sources we're talking about aren't necessarily real time themselves, right? I mean, you know, of course, like a Kafka or, you know, like a, you know, sort of a, you know, if you're running like Databricks and a Spark cluster, you can run some of those things real time. When we think about a data warehouse, is the problem overcoming the limitation that you are 
because a lot of the data coming into the warehouse is running on a batch job, right? And so you're going to get your payments data, what, you know, every hour, every six hours, you know, whatever. And so the idea is that, okay, well, you actually have that data in Snowflake or BigQuery or whatever, and you need to make the updated, like the latest data available in real time without having like a complex set of pipelines. Yeah. So on that note, obviously the warehouses, as you mentioned, sometimes could be a snapshot of information, which is done at a certain schedule. Uh, Dozer works best in, in the context of real time when you connect us to the source systems. So if you are connected to a transactional system, we typically take the data in CDC and move that in real time. So we have inserts, deletes, and updates as they are flowing through mm. from the main transactional system. And we keep information fresh in real time. Well, real time, I mean, obviously there's a bit of a data latency as, you know, CDC will also sure. have a little bit of lag, but it is as best as you can get from a read latency standpoint. But if you already have information in data warehouse and you want to connect that with your other data streams, that's something you could do in a very similar, from an experience standpoint, we can do that in a very similar stand, very similar fashion. So you could basically pull in a snowflake, pull in a Postgres or pull in the future, other transactional systems as well. And you can connect them as if you are writing a simple join query between tables and columns, and that will immediately produce an API. Well, interesting. Okay, so I'm just going to come up with a fake use case here. So let's say that you know I have a SaaS app and someone's on a free trial and I have you know my... Um, you know, my app database is running in Postgres. And so I have like some basic data in Postgres about like what features have been used, like the status of the, you know, person's trial, whatever it is. And of course, like I want to, you know, send messages to that person or even like maybe modify like the app or even the marketing site, you know, using that data. And so with Dozer, I mean, from what I can tell, I can essentially turn that Postgres data into an API and then just hit the API to grab the data that I need to make the decisions that I want to make, you know, whatever, and like my React app or whatever I'm delivering my app as. Is that accurate? Exactly correct. You can connect to, as I mentioned, real-time sources and let's say less real-time sources. You can define your data, how you want to combine the data, or even if you want to pre-aggregate the data, huh. create the, I would say, the payload of your API, and API are automatically exposed. That's roughly how it works. Interesting. Okay, so when you say pre-combined data, so let's just say I'm running my app database in Postgres, but then the marketing team is you know, collecting a bunch of whatever data they collect so you know clickstream data web views you yeah. know marketing data and <clears throat> dozer would allow me to actually like join that data and make the join available as an api like an api like an endpoint that's correct, that's correct. wow that's, yeah that's correct so fundamentally every you can join, let's say you, as you mentioned, you have your Postgres database, you have, uh, let's say you have also some analytical data coming from out of your Snowflake or Delta yeah. Lake, and, and you want to 
join this data or even do some additional stuff on top of the join. You want to do some aggregation, you want to do anything. So every time something changes on the source, is the change is actually propagated to Dozer. And Dozer really plays the, the output and store it in the cache and make it as available as APIs. Fascinating. Okay. So man, I have so many more questions, but I want I know Costas has a ton of questions. But let's can we just talk through, and this will probably be a good handoff for Costas. If I have a Postgres database and then I have, you know, an analytical database with Snowflake, and then just to make it even more complicated, let's say like our ML team, you know, is working in Databricks or Spark, and so I have some output there, right? And so right. I want to figure out how to provide some sort of personalized, my marketing team wants to personalize this page on the site based on something we know about these people that needs to combine these sort of three key, you know, app database, analytics database, ML database. How do I do that with Dozer? So like, how do I install Dozer? How do I connect the sources? Can you just give us a, a quick walkthrough of, you know, I have those three sort of data sources and I want to make them an API. Yeah, so Dozer's experience is mainly driven to YAML and SQL, right? So you would put a YAML, one block would one block would be connections. You would specify the three connections you mentioned. One block one block would be about the SQL transformations that you need to perform. You would write all the SQL transformations that you want to perform on the source systems, and specify where the endpoints APIs, how they are to be exposed, and the indexes that need to be created, and that's it. That's all you have to do, and you have APIs available in gRPC and REST. All right. That sounds like super easy, but I'm sure like there are like a little bit more details there in how it happens, right, in the back end at least. So right. can you guys like take us a little bit like through what does it mean? Like what happens, right, behind the scenes when I provide these YAML files and when I provide like this... SQL and my choice of like the API protocol that I want to use. Behind the scenes, uh, the we have multiple connectors that that basically captures uh, real time data from databases or data warehouses. So, uh, let's say from Postgres we use CDC, from Snowflake we use Table Stream. So every time there is a an event. Uh, that can be an insert, a delete, an update from any of the sources, we capture all of this data. After, we, after this data is captured, it goes through the SQL that you have defined. Now, this SQL is fundamentally transformed into a, a DAG, directly a cyclic graph. And that DAG is executed, that DIG is executed in real time as the data is in transfer. So we keep the state of, of the output data always up to date and in the caching layer. And because we know what is the output of, of your SQL query, we can actually produce what is the output schema of the API. And that's how we generate the protobuf definition and the open API definition. 
So mm-hmm. in brief, this is the entire flow of execution from the sources all the way to the consumption. Mm. All right, that's super interesting. And okay, you act in a way as a consumer, like the service, right? Of data that is coming like from a number of other services that you don't really control the schema there, right? That's right. So let's say I'm going and for whatever reason, I drop a column on Snowflake, right? Or even worse, like on my production Postgres database, right? Which probably means that, and I'm using drop like for a reason because adding a new column might be a little bit easier like to handle. The other problem is like more silent, right? Like data will come and data will be missing or like will turn into nulls, right? Or something like that. How do you deal with that? Because again, we are talking about like a service on the other side that someone is consuming, right? Like they are driving like a product or an application or it doesn't matter if it is internal or external, right? How do you deal with that? Yeah, that's actually a very good question because this is what happens typically in companies. And when you have multiple people working on multiple systems, there needs to be an entire coordination that needs to be in place for some to do a schema migration of sorts, right? So we actually have, this is something we really thought about. And uh, Dozer has an API versioning experience where if for you to kind of create a new API version, you will just have to change the SQL or, you know, the source schema has changed or the types have changed. You automatically publish a new API and with a few commands, you can switch the API to the new version, right? So we actually run two pipelines in parallel and uh, basically populate both of them. And a developer can simply switch from one one version to the second version. Obviously, as you mentioned, if it's a destructive change that one of the pipelines completely breaks, we have an error notification, kind of an experience in play where we'll let you know that pipeline is not working anymore. But if it's a if it's a straightforward change and nothing has to change in terms of schemas, we simply overwrite the version. But let's say if there is a breaking version change, we automatically create a parallel version. So this is from a developer standpoint, you typically work with YAML, you deploy a new pipeline, and it starts to kind of work as a, as a parallel version. And you could simply switch that to the parallel version. By the way, so this experience of API versioning is not kind of part of our open source because it's a lot to do with infrastructure than just code. So that is yes. that is coming out in our the cloud version, which we are kind of launching soon in beta, right? So, but okay. typically, like if anyone deploy anyone deploying this in a self-hosted manner, they could also kind of deploy it in a similar fashion. And we'll write write about that on our blog. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so from my experience with working like this, what is happening with these systems is that you have like the database from one side, which represents some kind of state, right? And from this very concrete state, you go to a series of events that actually represent how these, like the operations that are applied on this state, right? The reason I'm saying that as an introduction is because one of the, let's say, tough situations with like CDCs, like going and recreating the state, right? Because you might need, I mean, not the whole state, but like part of it, but the events themselves, it's just like, and acting on an individual event is just like part of like what 
you usually want to do, right? Uh, but this has like some complexity, like in terms of the SQL that you have like to write to do that. And also has a computational complexity. Like there might be a lot of events happening, right? Coming like from, from CDC. And when we are talking about like systems that uh, they're operating like more like as a cache, okay, you always think that there are some constraints like in terms of like the resources that you have there. Right? So how is Dozer like dealing with, with these complexities of working with uh, event streams coming from data systems? Yeah. So I so one one technology choice that we decided to to use with Dozer is to implement everything in Rust. I mean, like that's that's something that is happening a lot in a lot of tools, the data engineering space, and and we fully we believe that this is gonna this is gonna change uh, a lot in the data engineering. So in my experience, you know, when you have to deal with, with distributed systems and JVM-based tools, more like most of the tools are in, the, in this space, you add a lot of complexity to your system for no particular, sometimes no particular reason, okay? In some situation, it is really justified to have a fully distributed system because the volume is so big. But in some other situation, you don't really need it. So we said, okay, let's take a much linear approach because a language like Dozer, sorry, a language like, like Rust allows us to get incredible performance with, uh, with much more simplicity. And that's how we, that's what, uh, how we follow the implementation in Dozer. I mean, the execution of the, the pipeline is, the pipeline is actually run in a single process. Now, it can be distributed among multiple processes and nodes, and that's what we are doing in our cloud version. But the, the, the open source version is fundamentally a, a single binary, which is much, much easier to run and manage rather than having a full cluster. That's the approach we we followed using those, and that proved to be quite uh, quite uh, quite useful. I mean, it's simple to manage, and with the performance that you get. And another thing that we noticed, we started experimenting running those around different uh, different machines, and uh, you know, with the with the ARM based cores getting more and more popular. And especially with the large number of cores, now you have like an ARM-based machine with like 64 cores, you can really scale out your computation, not on, you don't need really a cluster, but you can scale out on multiple cores on the same machine and achieving incredible performance. So you can achieve what was not possible before with much, much simpler code and much simpler infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, from the user perspective, right, when the user has like to deal with its event data and works on like recreating, let's say, the state, right, 
how is the experience there? I mean, how is the user like going from a stream of events that represent like changes that have been applied like on a table? Let's say like I am like let's say the user table, right? How is the experience of like doing that? Like how is the user of Dozer going to implement the SQL query that let's say takes that and from that creates let's say keeps only the daily new signups and only these are like exposed like through the uh, the API. The reason I'm asking that is because okay, like when someone develops, you need to have access like to some data, like you know, go through like some process, right, to do the actual development. So what's like the experience here? Because it's a little bit different than like a database system, right? Like, okay, in the database system, you have your interface, you have the data, you start like writing queries, see what happens. And at some point, like through iterations, you end up like with a query at the end. But if you have something like Dozer, how is this experience happening? Yeah. So... As Matteo mentioned earlier about the high-level infrastructure, right? So Dozer has fundamentally four components. We have connectors. There is a real-time SQL engine running. We have a caching layer, and on top of that, APS are available. So underlying, once the data crosses the connectors, everything is turned into a CDC, which means it's an insert, delete, and update. And the, the SQL is working on data as if it's a simple table, and there are a bunch of columns, right? So if you are connecting to a CDC of a Postgres database, for example, you're getting inserts and deletes, inserts, deletes, and updates as they are flowing through. So you're making changes to the database and you get inserts, deletes, and updates in your dozer. But let's say if you're working with a Kafka, and as you mentioned, you're working with events in that context, right? So you could actually, so events would be available as a table in your SQL, and you could write whatever business logic you have on top of events as a simple SQL basically. So you could actually combine that with data coming out of Postgres and represent that as series of transformations and the output of the SQL would be produced as an API. So that's the experience. Mm -hmm. So when I'm connecting through those are on Postgres, right, what I see is not a stream of events, insert, deletes, and updates that are coming. I see the table, right? Like if I connect like on the user table, what I see through Dozer is the table itself, right? Look, that's right. So if you use the end yeah. output after you produce the SQL is you get when you call the API, you would see records as if you are seeing a table, but you're not working with events directly. Mm -hmm. And actually, so on top of that, you see the table, but uh, you don't see a static table. You see a live table with all the data that is actually changing in real time. So basically, if you do a select and your select produces like let's say 10 rows and in the database a new row is added the new row if the row satisfies the actual condition of your sql it will suddenly appear in the list actually so what you see is a table but it's actually it's more than a table because it's a live table and one of the, I mean, at least like historical like issues with CDC is how you seed the initial table, right? Because CDC, like when you connect like to the CDC feed for Postgres, it has like a limited capacity, right? Like you can't really 
access the whole table through the CDC feed itself. So how is this happening with Dozer? Like, how do we get access to the whole table? Or it's a decision like that you made that you only get the updates, seems like the date that you have installed the pipeline. Yeah, so uh, typically with connectors, we have a snapshot and then, you know, like a CDC that continues. So we take initial, so you basically in the case of Postgres, for example, we start a transaction, you would basically get the snapshot of the table and we kick off CDC. So you would get the initial state and all the updates that, that, are, after, that are coming after, basically. Okay, that's, that's interesting. Okay, so enough with the technicalities. Uh, I'm uh, I'm asking all these questions because I find like these in general like very fascinating as like a way of like dealing with data, but it's also quite challenging, especially like if you are trying like to scale that, right? So it's very interesting to see how like a real system that is built like handles like all these let's say interesting parts of C and trade-offs. So okay, let's uh, let's move towards like the use cases, right? And uh, as we go there, I would like to ask something because Matteo was like saying like at the beginning of our recording that uh, he used like the term read heavy applications, right? Where usually you use like a castler, that's the whole idea of like having a cast like Redis. And I would like to ask you guys like, when you were like thinking about Dozer and how Dozer is implemented today, are we talking about a system that is primarily trying to serve like read-heavy workloads? And this is, let's say, like big part of the definition of what like real-time is. Is it more about the latency or is it both, right? Because you don't necessarily need both, right? Like you can have a low latency system that processes data in, I don't know, like sub millisecond even latencies, but still you are not going to have like too many reads happening, right? Or like too many writes. Like these are like different concepts there, like with between like the throughput and the latency. So what is, where like dozer stands between like these um, parameters of like the problem that you are solving? Good question, yes. because uh, this is, I mean, linking back to the use case that I was mentioning in the bank, it's actually both because, uh, you know, one is the, think of, if you think about the, the actual banking application, uh, read heavy in terms of cash, because obviously you have a lot of users logging into your app and checking their bank account uh, and, you know, it's surprising to see how many users they log into the bank, their banking application after they do any operation. They withdraw the money at the ATM and they immediately log into the banking app to check if the transaction is correct. And that's, that's the read heavy on the cash. But at the same time, because there are these kind of users, you need low latency on the pipeline. So if I withdraw my money from the ATM and the, the, database, the source database is updated, obviously I need a low latency in the pipeline execution so that I can display the data in, 
in real time or near real time to the user. So we try to address both scenarios, to be honest. Yeah. Just want to add uh, something on top of that, right? So that's why what we want to do from a dose standpoint is think, so to become the de facto standard in a way you think about data serving, right? In some cases, we are unlocking the unlocking data for companies. For example, sometimes in enterprises, you don't have access to a source system that is hidden behind several controls and, you know, like it's sitting in a certain business unit. And to actually kind of make that part of a user experience, you'd have to think about creating so much infrastructure internally. And it's such a challenge in several months of project, right? In some cases, you're dealing with read scalability. Your Postgres is not able to answer those queries anymore. In some cases, you're talking about creating an entire domain layer of APIs where you're combining several things and exposing that. So definitely Doze comes into play at a certain scale of a company. I would not say a company starting today would not need Doze right away. But when you're thinking about standardizing all your read traffic, thinking about scaling your uh, read infrastructure, especially, and uh, data serving capacity, that's where Doze comes into play. That makes total sense. And okay, let's talk a little bit more about like the use cases now. Okay, like we've used like a lot of the banking sector as an example of like how like a system like this is needed. What are like the use cases that you have seen so far? That's like actually like one of like the, my opinion, like the beauties of like building a company because there's always like people out there that surprise you with how they use like the technology that you are building. So what have you learned so far with Dozer and like what have you seen like people are doing with it? Yeah. So I would like to describe two use cases that we saw that, that are very interesting. Smaller companies are basically looking to use Dozer because suddenly you get SDK that you can plug in and you get real-time APIs on and you can start building APIs right away. So cost of saving time and is immediately start to kind of build products. That's what is appealing at the lower end of the spectrum. And uh, if you talk about enterprises and we are currently engaged in a few enterprises, this is where unlocking the value of data is coming into play. And uh, the terms like experience layer, et cetera, et cetera, coming into play where today, without naming names, some companies, some enterprise companies are dealing with large volumes of data sitting in you know, disparate systems. And they are currently thinking about creating a large infrastructure, which is potentially a few months or even a few years long. And putting together a large stack and a large team to solve this problem, right? This suddenly becomes a multi-million dollar project solving, solving this, you know, like your And at the end of it, you, you still don't know how to exactly build it because there's many technical complexities involved and several key stakeholders involved. So, so this is where I think, you know, like we, 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 we received some inbound, which was very interesting for us, where basically instead of solving, you know, creating all this infrastructure, code plumbing yourself, Dozer can actually immediately provision a data API backend for you. And you can start to kind of work on one API, two API, and actually kind of start to build an entire, entire experience layer for a company. So that's what you have seen for larger enterprises. I think there is another kind of interesting use case that came, that came mostly up from our open source usage. That is where you have a, let's say a product engineer, full stack engineer, uh, that has to build, that is, that has to integrate data with a consumer facing application, actually. And, you know, 
uh, this engineer has to uh, in it i mean you know all this data is coming from can be coming from the source system as well as the data warehouse so it has to deal a lot with the data engineering team and you know there is always friction between uh, product engineering and data engineering who does what and uh, those are actually started to prove uh, to be very useful in helping this kind of engineers to get the data that they want, uh, combine it uh, in the way they want and expose API and integrate without having to go through the entire, you know, process of building pipeline on the data lake, getting approvals for the, for the very, to run the pipeline there, etc. So it kind of started to be the, let's say, last mile delivery of data for product engineer to, to bridge the gap between the data engineering and the product engineer. That's super interesting. And you used uh, earlier, like the term experience layer. Can you explain what do you mean by experience layer? Like what is it? Yeah, maybe experience laser is something that is typically used in, um, in, in banking and telco and bigger enterprise. So fundamentally, you have your domain, typically so domain layer where like, let's take, let example, let's take the banking space. Actually. So you have your domains, which are fundamentally wealth management or banking insurance, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, these, uh, this product, they, this, this system, basically they expose data relative to that specific domain. Now, when you build a mobile app, uh, we are mostly talking about the user experience. And at that point, you don't care about the domain, but you care about, for example, giving an overview of your balances whether it's in insurance, whether it's wealth, whether it's, that's the kind of definition of the experience layer. What, what you is the layer that you put in front of your user to better serve the, the user. I think this is something that is maybe mostly used in, in, in these spaces, actually. But we have seen, even if they don't call it experience layer, we have seen companies needed something like that. Maybe they call it yeah. in different ways, but that's, that's fundamentally what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, makes total sense. Okay, one last question from me, and then I'll give the microphone back to, to Eric. So I would assume that having like a system that in one side might possibly be driving a user-facing application, right? And on the other side, like consuming data from various like data systems that are probably you know, like working already on like their limits and all that stuff. I would assume that reliability is important, right? So how do you deal with that? And what kind of guarantees Dozer can give when it comes like to the re re reliability of the system? Yes. So this is actually, I mean, as you rightly mentioned, it's a difficult problem the way we solve this for companies. So reliability, we do this in multiple ways. Firstly, there are some things that are also coming in some of our future versions as well. So uh, 
the, the data as we get it from the sources, we actually kind of store depending on the type of the connector. For example, if the connector can support a replay, we don't necessarily have to store all the information ourselves. But let's say if the connector doesn't have a replay mechanism, we have the ability to persist that in a certain closer format. So, so that's one guarantee. So even though, let's say, if a pipeline breaks, we can kind of restart and kind of replay the messages and recreate the state. On the other end of the spectrum, the API layer, the caching layer is based, is built on LMDB database. It's a memory mapped file. And we can basically kind of scale the number of APIs on the existing state as it stands in a horizontal fashion. So let's say even the pipeline breaks, we can still serve the APIs with the existing data as it stands. It might be, you know, if the pipeline breaks, for example, you would see a little bit of a data latency, but when the pipeline kicks in, you have a new version deployed, we automatically switch the version and you have API available again, right? So all this, we still guarantee that APIs are not down, whereas the data pipeline, we will try to kind of replay the message and recreate the state base. So we can run, uh, we can run Dozer in multiple, I mean, in the cloud version, or in an enterprise deployment, this, would, this typically would be a Kubernetes cluster with different type of pods doing different things. And even though some of the pods go down, we still have a way to maintain the state so that APIs would not go down. Mm -hmm. Actually, one, one thing I want to add is that it's in addition to, to reliability, one important aspect is also observability here. Because, you know, you're serving data to customers. So it's actually... 10 times more critical than an internal dashboard. So it's not uncommon to, let's say, I mean, going back to get a support call, say, okay, my balance is wrong. Why is that actually? And you need to really understand why the balance is wrong and trace it back actually. So that's another important aspect about it. All right. That's all from my side. Eric. The microphone, all right. Well, we are really close to the buzzer, but of course I have to ask, where did the name dozer come from? I mean, usually you think about, you know, a bulldozer just pushing mounds of dirt, you know, in, into uh, big piles, but uh, give us the backstory. Okay. That's quite interesting. Okay. So when... Those were started like it's like we are like almost a year into the journey, and we were iterating on the idea. And I like very much the concept. I share with you that, and I stumble upon an article from Netflix where they were describing a system that was very similar to what I built in DBS actually, and. And the system's name is actually Bulldozer. Hmm. And uh, we kind of got an inspiration from, uh, from that. Sure. And obviously, we didn't want to use the same name Bulldozer, so we abbreviated it, and it actually became, it became Dozer. But actually, it was very, uh, it's very good because now Ioannis, uh, that is, the main uh, author of uh, Bulldozer at Netflix uh, is actually helping us out as, a, as an advisor in the company. Oh, wow, uh, cool. It's, it's actually, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice story. Wonderful. Well, what a great story to end on. 
Vivek Mateo, thank you so much for your time. Fascinating. And I'm really excited that technologies like Dozer, I think, are going to enable a lot of companies to actually deploy uh, a lot of real-time use cases, even at a small scale, you know, when they're early on, and then scale to, you know, do things like the huge companies that y'all have both worked for. So very exciting to see this democratization, especially in the form of a great developer experience. Um, so congrats and uh, best of luck. And thanks for spending some time with us on the Datastack show. Thank you very thanks much. Costas, fascinating conversation with Vivek and Matteo from Dozer. So interesting, the problem space of trying to turn data into an API, right? Think about all the data sources that a company has. And their goal is to turn all of those sources into APIs and actually even combine different sources into a single API, which is where things get really interesting, right? You know, imagine a sort of a production database, analytical database, an ML uh, database, uh, being able to combine those into a single API that you can access in real time is absolutely fascinating. I think my biggest takeaway, you know, which we didn't actually talk about this explicitly, but I think that they are anticipating what we're already seeing becoming, you know, a huge movement, which is that data applications and data products are just going to become the norm, right? Whether you're serving those to an end user in an application, you know, so we talked about a banking application where you need an account balance across, you know, the mobile app, the, you know, sort of web app, the insurance portal, et cetera, right? Of course, you need that data there. Um, or your personalizing experience, right? Based on, you know, sort of demographics or whatever. All of these are data products. And we haven't talked about that a ton on the show, but I really think that's the way that things are going. And this is really tooling for the teams that are building those data products, whether they're internal or, you know, sort of for the end user. And I, I think APIs make a ton of sense as the way to sort of enable those data products. So that's my big takeaway. How about you? Yeah, 100%. I don't think like an application engineer is going to change the way that they operate, right? Like they have the tooling and they should continue like working with what they know how to use, right? And do it like, I mean, how they do it like already in application. So that's where I think that the opportunity is for tools like Dozer, right? The same way that like a data engineer doesn't want to get into all the protobufs and I don't know, like what else, like applications are using to exchange data, right? In the same way, like an application developer shouldn't get into like what Delta table is, like why they should care about that, right? Like, or what like Snowflake is. Yeah. What they care about is like get access to the data that they need in the way that it has to be so they can build their stuff. And that's, I think like what is happening. Uh, I think it's primarily like an like a developer tooling problem to be solved. It's not like a marketing. It's not like a sales ops. It's not. Yeah. It's not any of these like 
old kind of like, I mean, there is space obviously also like for these tools, but if we want to enable, let's say, builders, we need to build also tooling like for engineers to go and build on top of that data. So, and I think like we will see more and more of that happening, like even like in the, you know, like reverse ETL tools that we've seen like coming in like the past like two years. And that, you see that like even with, ta -ta 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 -ta, what's the name of this one? Say one of these companies that they're doing. I does. Yes. They start like implementing like a casting layer on top of. Yeah. Snowflake, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like an audience cache. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, but like, forget like audience and put like any kind of like query result. Sure. Right? What yeah, it, right? Like, that's why I'm saying like they started like from a marketing use case, right? But at the end, like what they are building right now is interfaces for application developers to go and build on top of data that lives inside their warehouse, right? Yeah. And I'm sure we'll see more and more of that. But it's interesting to see that like even like high touch that started as a company like very like focused on like the marketing use case at least that's my understanding like when i saw them like when they started they're also like moving towards that which is a good sign it's a sign that like more technology is coming exciting tooling and developer tooling yeah i agree i think that you know we've talked a lot on the show over the last two years about, you know, data engineering, the confluence of data engineering and software engineering, right? And nowhere is this more apparent than, you know, putting an ML model into production or taking data and delivering it to an application that's providing an experience for, you know, an end user. And so we've actually had a lot of conversations around you know, software development principles in data engineering, you know, or vice versa, right? And tools like those are fascinating because they actually may help create a healthy separation of concerns where there is good specialization, right? Not that, you know, there isn't good, you know, healthy cross-pollination of, of skill sets there, but you know, if you have an API that can serve you data that you need as an application developer, that's actually better. You can do your job to the best of your ability without having to sort of co-opt other skill sets or, you know, sort of, you know, deal with a lot of like data engineering concerns, right? And the other way around. So I think it's super exciting and an interesting shift since we've started the show. So uh, stay tuned if you want more conversation like this, more guests, lots of exciting stuff coming your way, and we'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.